Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Will Brinson and NFL draft writer Josh Edwards. And today we will recap pro days and which players have made the most movement up or down the NFL draft, the risers and the fallers. Fallers? Yeah, fallers. I was going to say followers. The risers and the fallers. Keep it locked with us all week for more off-season news. If you're watching us on YouTube, smash that like button, comment, and of course, subscribe to our YouTube page. Audio only. Do the same. Download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to watch or listen to the pod. Uh, guys, it was another wild March Madness weekend. The final <sighs> four is set. Three schools have never been to the final four before. Now there's an argument that's going on online. Is this the best final four or the worst final four? Um, This is the, what's up everybody, by the way, uh, this is the best tournament I think I've ever seen with the exception, yeah. maybe the one where, uh, Steph Curry went to the uh, Sweet uh, Sixteen. Davidson, yeah. mainly because like I had been, uh, you know, my alma mater was UNC Greensboro, and I covered basketball there. And when I was at UNCG, it was when Steph was at Davidson, so I would have to go down to Davidson and cover Steph in college. Which, yeah, oh, yeah. like a twelve hundred person gym, like watching Steph Curry. Let me, let's see Davidson basketball. Let's see Davidson basketball gym. Uh, it's it's very small because Davidson's like a. Um, the John and Belk Arena capacity of uh, five thousand people. So, like, but still, I mean, Steph Curry lighting up a five thousand purpose, your five thousand person wow. venue, um, which didn't full right. I mean, in like the height of his powers in college was freaking. I was effing incredible, but it was freaking. It was effing incredible. And um, so, other than that, I think this has been maybe the best tournament. And like, it's just wild to see these upsets. I sort of wonder, Josh, if this will be. And I hate to do this to you as a you know <laughs> here Kentucky guy, but you sort of wonder if this won't be the like the new norm, given NIL and transfer portal yeah. and all that. And like you know, I mean, Roy and Roy and Coach K stepped away, and I guess the question is, it's are you ready for Cal to leave and come to Raleigh? Is the question? <laughs> you, you still want him in Raleigh at this point? Is that is that a, is you, that still a thing? Kidding me? I'll take yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely had a, a few rough years in K at Kentucky here recently, but I do he's, think you guys are outrageous. Like not you specifically, but they're like, I mean, it's just time to get Cal out of here. It's like, dude, he's got a lifetime contract. He's on. Yeah, I mean, we could argue about whether he should have oh, gotten that lifetime contract when he did, but I, I'll save that for a, a different podcast. I do think we're going to see more open brackets uh, year to year now because I think you're seeing more competition because of what you said, the talent being spread more across college basketball. You see a changing of the guards with some of the older head coaches uh, making their way out of the game and some incoming young coaches uh, like Tang at Kansas State this year. Oh, um, so you, you've got uh, you've got a very different landscape in college basketball, and I think that's going to be very entertaining for fans moving forward. I was, saw a, a tweet or a stat today that if you bet $100 on the underdogs in every single game of the tournament, you would have been up 1500 bucks so far. It's been wild. <laughs> yep uh by the way i had texas winning it all in the bracket and i was um i was actually boxed out in both of the bracket pools i was in somehow even though i had like gonzaga and yukon and it was yukon in the final four and one and then gonzaga in the other and i stood to make some pretty decent cash if texas just doesn't poop their pants up 13 oh. uh oh. against miami but you know I'm, I'm happy for my boy jim Ranega el tilde 
<laughs> wow, I like the way you said that. Yeah, I'm. Really, I'm he, super super added a, he, had, he added oh, a tilde what? to he added a tilde to his name when he when he moved to Miami. I told, I said this last week, right? Oh, maybe you did. I can't. When he was when he was George Mason, he had no there was no NDA in his name. And when he, because he's of Cuban descent and nobody knew it until he went to Miami. That's why he took the Miami job. He loves it down there so much. And like his family's from there. And so he, he, and when he took the Miami job, he's like, I'm adding an Nene. What do you think? And I mean, like, how cool. <laughs> okay. Well, I like it. I'm, I'm stoked about San Diego State. I had a friend from high school that's been, he was like a student coach there when he was in school or like an assistant. And he's been an assistant coach for, I don't even know how many years. I'm actually not going to date myself. But yeah, first time San Diego State in the final four. So, I'm excited to see that. How far do y'all think the Aztecs can actually get? Um, I have uh, – I bet uh, – actually, I'm changing my name, I think, right now. Let's see. Did, did that work? Oh. Did, it, did I add it? I added a tilde to my name, too. Um, Great. Look at that. <laughs> Check it out. Hey. hey. <laughs> I, uh, I actually have a ticket, San Diego State, to win the title at 55 to Let's 1. Let's go. Yeah. Not a lot of people know this, but I am the foremost – uh, this is a big dead serious. I'm the foremost San Diego State fan on the East Coast. You are both football and basketball. It's it's a, it's because I go my buddy Darren Smith. Oh, because the, the Chargers. Is this the no, Chargers? No, no, it's not because the Chargers. No, it's because my buddy Darren Smith does um San Diego radio, and uh, I'm always on there. And I, I've been I was a huge fan of um Donald Pumphrey when he ran when he was a when he was a running back for San Diego State, and obviously they've had like a bunch of good guys, and and so I just always been an Aztec fan, and um. To bet them and hopefully they can pull it off. All right. Well, that leads me into this promo. Saturday on CBS, the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. Road to the Final Four reaches its final destination in Houston. Coverage of the semifinal games begin at 3 Eastern with the At the Final Four and the Final Four show all leading up to tip off at 6 when Florida Atlantic faces San Diego State, followed by Miami clashing with UConn. The NCAA Men's Final Four National Semifinals Saturday on CBS. All right, guys, let's talk football. Pro day. Josh, what are we thinking? Yeah, there's a lot of thoughts as we, uh, you know, get ready to dive into some of these uh, these quarterback decisions that, uh, you know, we're going to be monitoring over the next month and a half. It's going to be really interesting to see how Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers kind of impacts yes. the draft landscape as a whole. I've actually got to do a um, my first mock draft comes out tomorrow. And um, how are you feeling? Seven rounds too, right? Is that what I heard? Seven rounds. Uh, it's actually gonna be a half a round. It's a half a round. But it's top, it's, a, it's a lottery draft. Um, no, I'm actually. Uh, I mean, I'm. I'm feeling. I'm feeling grateful, and not just because I'm wearing this awesome Grateful Dead hat uh, made by. Mm. Uh, 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 the, I'll, I'll find the name of the guys, but um, I think it's like Black Throated Mercantiles, maybe who do it. They do great hats. You check it out on Instagram. But um, also because I'm grateful for Lamar Jackson coming out and, and, and making it public yeah. that he's requested a trade the day before my mock draft because as longtime diva devotees of my mock draft works are fully aware, I'm the foremost, not just San Diego State East Coast fan, but also the foremost uh, mock draft veteran quarterback trader in the entire NFL media complex. I once created the rumor by virtue of a mock draft, like these, the, the rumor actually started swirling, like that Philip Rivers was like going to be traded to the Titans. Well, all right. So Lamar Jackson, Lamar's getting traded tomorrow morning where he's getting traded. You'll have to wait and click to find out. I don't think he's getting traded though. I think he's going to stay with Baltimore. This reminds me a lot. He's getting traded in my mock draft. Oh, in your mock draft. Okay. And we'll have to wait to find out who that is. Got it. Okay. Well, let's talk about Lamar. Obviously, John Harbaugh had a, a press conference with other owners today and uh, basically said that he was staying and they're working it out. And then at the same time, Lamar goes ahead and releases his own statement saying that he requested a trade on March 2nd. So one, and Josh, we'll start with you. Do you think that Lamar Jackson is staying or going and what kind of a message that this sent? To me, it feels like very similar to the Debo Samuel situation. Everybody thought he was leaving the 49ers last year. He he was at a club and they had a 49ers thing and he was like, no, 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 I want out. And look where he is. He's still with the 49ers. I feel like they will work this out with Lamar. But what are your thoughts? I tend to think he's going to end up leaving. Uh, you know, it's kind of dependent upon the timeline. I saw a tweet earlier today saying that if the Colts do not get their quarterback of choice in the draft, maybe they go for Lamar Jackson. But 
in that situation, I would think Baltimore would be inclined to hold on to him because they wouldn't have another option at the quarterback position. Whereas if a trade were to happen over the next month, you know, maybe they're able to take one of these rookie quarterbacks that we're going to be talking about um, not only today, but over the next couple of months. So I'm inclined to think he's probably going to be traded at some point in time, but I'm really curious to see how the timing works out, whether in Indianapolis or Atlanta are really motivated to put that offer sheet in now, because you would think multiple teams are going to be interested. Now it's a matter of putting together a package that's going to be not only intriguing for uh, the Ravens, but also Lamar Jackson. Getting him to sign that that contract is the first step here. So is somebody going to rush to make that happen here in the next couple of, uh, of weeks? Well, it, it, it gets a little interesting here too now because this has gone from Lamar is franchise tagged and would be willing to consider other options to um, Lamar is once out of Baltimore. So mm-hmm. before the um, before the whole you know Lamar request a trade thing, like before we knew that Lamar had requested a trade and he requested the trade before he was franchise tagged, that's important too. So on March second, if, if you believe Lamar. And again, I think we have to take him at his word here. He, you know, he said, "I want to trade," knowing that they were going to place a franchise tag on him. They mm-hmm. placed a franchise tag on him anyway. That means that he's done with Baltimore. There's a reason why he's not negotiating with them. There's a reason why he doesn't want to sign their offer. So, what happens now is if another team is saying, "All right, we're interested in Lamar," and they put together an offer sheet and they give up two first round picks, obviously, if the, if, the, if Lamar signs it and the Ravens don't match, but the Ravens have the the chance to match. However, if you're Baltimore. Can you justify matching this offer sheet when Lamar has already said, I don't want to play for your team and I do not want to sign this particular contract? I don't know that you can. but And I don't know what the machinations of that would be if they, like, in other words, if you don't put together a, an offer sheet for, like, you don't match an offer sheet for a player who doesn't want to be on your team. You know what I mean? Like, if Lamar has, like, decided, I don't want to play in Baltimore anymore, I'm over it with DaCosta, I'm over it with Biscotti, whose name I mispronounce and call like the Delta Cracker all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm over it with I'm over it with Harbaugh. I'm over it with the, these receivers. I'm over it with the whole thing in Baltimore. And that's his but prerogative, you, right? Yeah, but don't you feel like this is a little bit of social media posturing? Again, I hate to bring it back to the Debo Samuel thing, but John Harbaugh at the owner's meeting said, Lamar is doing a good job in negotiation. So is Eric DaCosta. I know where we're at. There is no frustration. I feel okay about this. So to me, that means that Lamar is at the table trying to still negotiate with Baltimore. I think things have actually gotten a little bit toxic here because if you look back at the combine, Baltimore was saying all of the right things. We're now hearing that Lamar requested a trade on March 2nd. Today is March 27th. You know, so what has changed? Why are why are these negotiations suddenly being played out on social media over the past week plus? You know, there's got to be some kind of a change in dynamic that has led to Lamar being a little bit more vocal um, about his situation over social media. Well, I think maybe one of the reasons why is that, and I, you would hope is that, you know, I was I was um, I was on one hundred six seven fan in Baltimore. I mean, excuse me, in DC, uh, talking about Lamar with my buddy JP Finley, friend of the podcast, and uh, you know, we just were sort of discussing. It was like you know, Lamar sort of done himself a disservice over the last few weeks because I think up until this trade, you know, request, until he made this trade request public, it's been very difficult to figure out what his end game was, and I think yeah. that. You know, the lack of it, like this is just where the lack of an agent is an issue because agents are, for better or for worse, very good at leaking out information that will help the player, right? And, you know, I talked about the metacritical stuff with Aaron Rodgers and the Pat McAfee show. Well, you know, Lamar has the same ability via Twitter, but he, you know, he just for whatever reason, his message and what he's trying to tell, tell the world about what his situation is has not come through in a way that I think has really been easy for us to kind of grasp. And so it's been like an old school negotiation where the Ravens really had more of the influence in terms of the public sphere and being able to push the narrative against Lamar and for the team. And so I think this coming out and saying, look, here's the deal. All those owners are meeting in Phoenix. All the coaches are there. I know that there's and people can be asked about this. So he jumped out in front of it and said, I asked for a trade on March 2nd. And you know, you just have to take him for his word at that, right? That he that he actually did it. And so I think now, again, sort of like the Rogers stuff, it's just a little bit of the the onus onto the team to say, okay, you know, you allowed this to like, you know, you allowed this to get here. You know, you, you could have signed Lamar to a contract. You could, you know, if if you believe Lamar is a you know an MVP caliber quarterback, if he's a franchise quarterback, you could have stopped this from happening. You had that ability because 
there's a number he'll take, right? And instead, Lamar wants out of Baltimore, and that becomes a really tricky situation for the team if he is actually not posturing and he does want to play somewhere else. Yeah, I've got nothing. I'm kind of on the same page with you. I feel like now we're just waiting to see who's actually interested because the days after uh, we heard about this non-exclusive franchise tag, all these reports started coming out about how Team X and Team Y were not interested. And at the time, you know, Lamar is representing himself. So technically, teams couldn't talk to Lamar at that time. So they had to say they're not interested because otherwise that was tampering at that point. But now that teams are allowed to negotiate with him, now that we're in kind of a more transparent part of the offseason, do some of these teams start publicly making it known that they do have interest in Lamar Jackson um, and, you know, begin working on that trade over the next month and a half? Good point here by Victor in the chat, too. I, I forgot about that. Rashad Bateman, remember we talked about that on the day he tweeted it. He like gave that weird tweet about DaCosta and, and maybe even Harbaugh and just sort of the team in general. Same day that Lamar allegedly requested the trade uh, or alleges that he requested the trade. I think, too, like to your point, Josh, it, it is different. You know, we I, I read that article ripping teams for, you know, like alleging, like claiming like the possibility of collusion or whatever. Well, it, it is different when, when Lamar's requested a trade. That changes things because these teams do not want to negotiate for the Ravens. Like they don't want to go in and like give this offer sheet and just have the Ravens like, and Lamar's like, great, that's what I want. I'll sign that. And then the Ravens are like, cool. I'm just kidding. We'll sign that. You know, they don't, they don't want to, to do the work for the Ravens and then look like idiots when, you know, the deal doesn't come through. Whereas, you know, when you think about the, you know, the fact that he's now requested a trade, when these teams go and put an offer sheet in front of Lamar, again, as I pointed out, like the Ravens have a different calculus now. They have to say, okay, if we match this offer sheet, one, we lose two first round picks. And like, so who's the team that's offering the picks? Is it Indianapolis? Cause they have the fourth pick. Like that's a really good mm-hmm. spot. You could just draft another quarterback there. Now he might not be as good as Lamar, but you have the, the chance that he, he could be a high level quarterback and you get the other first round pick. Um, and then the question is like, okay, if we don't do that and we sign the, we, we match the offer sheet, we lose the two first round picks. And do we have a quarterback who is unhappy because we brought, we kept him in the fold? Like, you know, it's, it's almost like a long-term franchise tag in that sense. And so it, 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 the, the, the fact that he is publicly stating, I requested a trade just changes everything. I think. Well, if it changes everything, our friends over at Sportsline, their odds makers set odds to where Lamar Jackson will go, if not in Baltimore, week one of the NFL. The Colts, like you said, Brinson, are the favorite, plus 300. Then you got the Pats, plus 400. Lions, Falcons, Commanders, Titans, plus 900. The Bucks, plus 1,000. And then Dolphins, plus 1,200. Are the Colts the most likely place? Where would you where would you put your money, Brinson? Um, I think the, the Colts are really interesting especially when you think about like Shane Steichen fashion that offense in Philadelphia where, you know, Jalen Hurts, you know, I mean, obviously it's, um, you know, it's, it's Nick Sirianni's offense, but Shane Steichen certainly can, can you know, run something similar. I mean, he's offensive coordinator there. Um, and, you know, you think about all the, the, the design runs for Jalen Hurts. Now two different dudes, right? Like Jalen Hurts is built completely differently, complete different, completely different than Lamar Jackson, just in terms of size and ability to be a power runner. But you could also have a total, you know, like you can, you can, re, you can reimagine, you know, like you don't have to do as many power runs, right? You could have Lamar doing stuff that gets him on the edge. Like he's going to get to the, he's going to get around the, you know, around the edge, like faster than Jalen Hurts is because he's freaking lightning quick and he gets in the open field. He can destroy anybody. He's one of the fastest, maybe arguably the greatest running quarterback in NFL history already. Um, and so convenient graphic popping up on YouTube, by the way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I saw Billy putting it up. I thought I'd sneak that line in there. Um, but you know, like, if you if the Colts got him, he would work in that offense, and you could make the case easily. I think Josh that if you have Lamar Jackson, like, is Lamar Jackson better than whatever quarterback you're getting at four, and then whatever draft pick you're getting if you have Lamar for a season? Because you know that second first round pick you're going to give away will come a y- after after you've had Lamar for a year. So, like, in theory, Lamar is going to give you a good season in 2023. You're a playoff caliber team. Uh, Victor in the in the chat points out, you know, bet the Colts to win the division. Pretty good, pretty good look. I agree. Like, yeah. if you're getting you're getting good plus money because Jacksonville's minus 150. Like, if you're Indy and you trade, like, I could see a situation where Chris Ballard can like Jim Mercer is clearly wants to be very aggressive about the quarterback position this offseason. And he has been mm-hmm. for the last few years. He wants to figure it out, solve it. 
if I'm Chris Ballard and I don't love the guys in this draft, I'm thinking long and hard about saying, all right, I, Lamar might not be my, like the, the number one guy would pick, like you pick, you know, pick Mahomes or Josh Allen, whatever you want to do. But you're like, man, I can get a surefire thing at quarterback. You could definitely talk Jim Mercy into, into giving away those picks and getting Lamar. And you would know that you would be good in 2023 if Lamar plays 17 games because of that offense, because of your weapons, because of everything you have there with that offensive line, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that's a, it's a fun, it's a fun yeah. idea to imagine. And if you're good in 2023, you're very likely not to get fired. Yeah, I agree. I think there's some frustration within the Indianapolis building about the quarterback situation since Andrew Luck retired. You know, they've had stopgap after stopgap. Is this the time they try to make a big splash? You know, and I think you have to trust your evaluations in this rookie draft class. If you do not see one of these quarterbacks developing into a top echelon starter in the NFL, then you really have to consider making a move for Lamar Jackson. At the same time, you know, Lamar has control over which contract he's going to sign. From Baltimore's perspective, they probably want him out of the AFC. Um, from Lamar's perspective, he has total control. You know, does he want to get out of the AFC and sign with an NFC team that maybe has an easier path to the postseason? Um, is there some true spite here and he takes a team that's already, you know, a little bit lower in the draft order, uh, like Washington sitting there in the middle of the, in the, of the first round? Um, other than Indianapolis, I look at Atlanta and the moves that they made last offseason with Deshaun Watson going all in on that process. I understand they're saying all the right things about Desmond Ritter and having faith in him moving forward, but you have to say that because there's no certainty they're going to get one of the top quarterbacks in this draft class if they're even interested. Maybe they truly do not see um, one of these quarterbacks being better than what they already have in the building, but I think it would not be wise to rule out Atlanta based on how aggressive they pursued Deshaun a year ago. Completely all right, agree. Let's Oh, sorry, I was going to say Atlanta. I think yeah. Atlanta. I think Seattle. Seattle has Geno Geno Smith, so you can't really do that. But I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Atlanta, Carolina can't do it now that they traded up. I wish they'd done it from nine. Like they should have just gotten Lamar from nine. But that's neither here nor there. And then, um, uh, Washington, Atlanta, and there's Tampa who? Bay. Tampa Bay could be involved. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think to me, Washington, Indian, Atlanta, because uh, I got to do something for social media afterwards, you know, for the YouTube Shorts, and like. They're like, well, give me three, the first three teams I thought of Colts, Falcons, Commanders, especially if the Commanders are Dan Snyder. And you're like, you could like legitimately, I can't believe I'm going to say this phrase, but like leave a lasting legacy with the team before you sell them. Like it's not <laughs> terrible. It's oh, he's got lasting legacies. <laughs> They're just not good ones. I'm just saying like, if, if you're Dan Snyder and you're just going to sell the team, go get Lamar yeah. and then sell the team. And it's like, if, what if they win a Super Bowl? Like it would you would still be you would be able to be like, that's kind of my Super Bowl. You also, know I mean? if you have if you have Lamar Jackson at quarterback, what's that do for your franchise value when well, you're when you're trying to sell? It's a great yeah. point. Look at what happened the Broncos, the Broncos last year when they traded we thought Russ was good. When they traded for yeah. Russ, <laughs> price. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about some of those other quarterbacks that maybe if these teams aren't going to go for Lamar Jackson, the Bills, Giants, Packers, Saints, Seahawks and Steelers all had either a head coach or a GM or both at CJ Stroud's pro day. Josh, why do you think this was the case? And could these teams be looking to move up to get Stroud? Yeah, I think some of them are probably open to the opportunity. Some of them are probably looking at the offensive tackles. They've got a pair of offensive tackles that could go in the first round, whether it's Paris Johnson Jr. or Dewan Jones. I think that's probably the case for Pittsburgh because they need offensive line help there in the middle of the first round. I know the Bills specifically were really paying attention to the defensive backs when they were there. The Giants, I would have to imagine, are probably in the mix. And the same goes for the Packers. Um, probably very interested in Jackson Smith and Jigba, who had a tremendous combine experience and is probably rising up the board uh, back up to where he started this process uh, uh, yet again. So one team that I do think is interesting that has been present at um, Ohio State and Kentucky's pro days with Will, Will, Will Levis um, was Mike Frabel. You know, the Titans are sitting there just outside of the top 10. You've got Ryan Tannehill. Is this a team that feels they're in a position to move on and try to get a younger player at that position because they've really gone through kind of this identity change over the past year, really. You move on from A.J. Brown, everybody thinks that it's Derrick Henry's team moving forward. And now Derrick Henry, you know, a lot of the buzz this offseason has been that Tennessee is open to moving him. So what is this franchise going to do moving forward? It feels like they're very open to a total reset. Yeah, and the thing about Tennessee is, you know, 
it's a weird situation because remember, Mike Vrabel ousted John Robinson essentially after the AJ Brown, the AJ Brown traded us offseason. And then AJ Brown went for like 15 touchdowns and 600 yards against the Titans in the revenge game. Um, and that's when John Robinson, you know, really backfired on him and he was sort of run out of town. And so now Vrabel is, is you know, like, you know, they have a new GM, but Vrabel's basically in charge, I think, in running this roster. And it, it's like, with every all the moves they made, you look at their offensive depth chart, and it's hard to it's hard to talk yourself into them being any good, unless unless Henry goes just bananas, and um, you know these receiver these younger receivers take like a big step forward. So, yeah, I think that you know Tannehill's at the end of his you know t- the tail end of his career, the back end of his career, and you I mean when you go out and sign Josh Dobbs, and you play him where they played him. Like when they played him, you can't possibly believe that anybody's confident in what Malik Willis could bring to the table moving forward. So yeah, they make total sense as a team that could jump in on a quarterback. I will say one other thing that is very interesting about when we talk about the teams that have been present at a pro day are the teams that are not present. I did not see the top decision makers from Houston or Indianapolis at either Ohio state or Kentucky's pro day. So you know, it's it's all public posturing. You know, you're trying to put a certain image out there. Uh, the Bears, before they took Mitchell Trubisky, had very little communication with him. Um, so I'm sure a lot of this is happening privately. But it's interesting to see the different strategic approaches these teams are taking um, to being at, at, at these quarterback pro days. I mean, the Seahawks, every pro day that they've been to of these quarterbacks, they've taken a selfie with, the, with that quarterback. So not only are they saying, hey, we're going to be here, we're going to be present but they're letting everybody know about it too. So it's just been very interesting to see how they've gone about that. Doesn't it feel a little bit like, like a, a little bit of Val Doth protest too much with the Seahawks where they're like, Oh my God, look at us. We're so much fun with these quarterbacks. We're going to take one so hard. I mean, like, you know what I mean? It's like taking a selfie with every quarterback. It's like, Oh, it's like it's like when um I don't know why I'm doing like a Valley Girl impersonation at this point, but um I, I'm way too old to be doing that. But other one bad. Um, yeah, I think that it's like you've got to like, like you know, if you think about when teams are interested, in, like when teams are actually interested in quarterbacks in the draft, and they don't have the number one overall pick, because really the Panthers are the only team that could say we love Will Levis and we don't care what anyone thinks, and we're just taking him. Like there's and there's nothing anybody could do about it. Um, you just you don't show any interest. Like, if you like a guy, you just, you, like, I'm pretty sure the Seahawks, when they took Russell Wilson, like, they made sure that they didn't talk, uh, say a word about Russ. They might not have even interviewed Russ. They might, like, because they didn't want him to get on anybody's radar, right? And it's it's just, in the NBA, it happens in every sport. You don't want to, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to show your hand. So, like, the Seahawks take, I mean, I guess if you take a picture with everybody, then you're just sort of playing games. I, I think, I tend to think that they might not take a quarterback with that first pick or do they want you to think it's a game that's what the nfl draft process does to us do they want us to think one thing and then we start thinking that and then the reality is the opposite i mean you know this is the season of misdirection and the nfl draft cycle really is um you know something you have to take with a grain of salt so you may try to convince yourself of one thing but then you could easily make a case for the opposite as well all right, you guys talked about what teams likely Lamar Jackson will go to. Are there any other teams that you think might shift around their attention, move things up or down in the draft to figure out Lamar Jackson? Um, so if, if you're ranking like top, like what's, what's top five landing spot, top three landing spots, top five yeah. landing spots for Lamar, well, your top, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, the three is pretty easy. Like one to me is Indianapolis. Like they can win now with Lamar Jackson. Um, you, you have concerns about the defense, but the offensive line and that run game and the coaching setup, it makes a lot of the division. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that, you know, Detroit would be kind of interesting, maybe. Ooh. But I mean, I think they believe in Jared Goff. So I don't, I don't know about yeah. that. Um, you know, the, the other team that could like conceivably do it. And I'd be curious what you think about this, Josh, but like Houston. Like, I mean, if you're Houston, you've kind of cobbled together a decent defensive, like a decent offseason with the defense. You've got, you know, some some pieces on offense, like in terms of the offensive line and and the you, know, you got some running backs. They don't have a whole lot in the receiving courts, a bunch of younger guys. But if you're operating with this, you know, and I don't know if that's what D'Amico Ryan wants to do, but like if you're operating with this Lamar Jackson offense, you don't necessarily need these, you know, great, 
you know, wide receivers. You go out and try and like, would you go the two, the the second and the twelfth pick overall for Lamar? I don't know if I would. I probably wouldn't just because I probably value draft picks a little bit more as, as a draft guy. Um, I do know that Houston really likes some of these quarterback options in this class. So from that perspective, I think Carolina and Houston are probably the two teams that are going to remove themselves from this process yeah. uh, and feel comfortable with their evaluations. I would imagine Carolina feels some sort of a, uh, you know conviction about one or two of these players to have moved up as far as they did in the process. So it really boils down to, you know, trusting your own evaluations. If you're Houston and you're Carolina and you have a true conviction about these quarterback prospects, you're not probably not interested in Lamar. But I think once you get past those top two picks, you know, it's it's fair game. It's open season. I think you can make a case for a lot of those teams. So I don't think that Houston will be in the mix personally because of how how much they value these rookie quarterbacks. Uh, but beyond that, it is it is open season. I could see yeah. any team getting involved. What about There's the Jets? Another- you know, they sense. haven't they yeah. haven't made made for Aaron Rodgers yet. Yes. You know that's that's still out there. If, if Green Bay wants to play games, hey, we'll wow. we'll go get Lamar Jackson. But uh, one was, other, well, I was going to say I was looking at Tankathon. Right. I mean, I don't know why I'm looking at Tankathon. Because I'm like scared. Like I'll look at like the wrong draft order if I look at a mock draft. But, <laughs> I mean, if you give up 13 and you get Lamar. And then you with that roster, with that roster, in theory, makes you a playoff contending team. I mean, with those receiving weapons. Now, granted, they would make Alan Lazard like a very question. I mean, Lamar and Alan Lazard (laughs) could actually work. You know, it's a deep threat. Uh, You know, Garrett Wilson, like they got weapons there. You could, I mean, dude, like, I mean, I don't know if Daniel Hackett knows how to run a Lamar Jackson offense, but I mean, I I wrote about this too. It's like, you know, you can make the excuse like, oh, we don't know if we want to fashion our offense around Lamar Jackson. It's like, well, if you don't know how to fashion, if you don't know how to make Lamar Jackson work, then maybe you're doing the, maybe you're in the wrong business. You know, like, like you're like, oh, that's not really how our offense works. It's like, well, then maybe your offense isn't good enough if it won't work with Lamar. Yeah, I think it could be a good fit just utilizing some of that wide zone type stuff that, uh, you know, they probably intend to do. Um, I'll pose the question a little bit differently here because, one thing that we have to consider is it really is Lamar's uh, Lamar's decision at this point. So, and the answer may be the Jets here, but if you're Lamar, of the reasonable options that are probably going to be available, which team would you ultimately like to go to? Which team is the best set up um, to be that team that you can take to the playoffs? I think Colts is the answer, probably. Unless it's like Titans with Lamar and Derrick Henry, which would be, my God. Just... So New England drafted Sony Michelle over. They could have drafted Lamar Jackson. Like they took. They should have took Sony Michelle over Lamar, which Bill doesn't get enough. Belichick doesn't enough crap for it. To be fair, a lot of teams did. Yeah, I mean the Saints. We thought the Saints were trading up to get Lamar, and then they took uh, Mark. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like Sean Payton. Why? Well, Lamar Jackson wasn't the only quarterback news today, guys. I don't know if you saw that John Lynch. Made it clear that Brock Purdy, Trey Lance, and Sam Darnold will all compete for the 49ers quarterback job. But if and when Purdy is healthy, he is the leader in the clubhouse based on track record established this last season. I, for one, am happy about this because I've been saying this whole time. And don't don't underestimate my ability to turn every conversation into a 49ers conversation. But Brinson, what do you think? Brock Purdy, leader in the clubhouse. As he should be. I mean, you know, took over for like Jimmy G's gone. Yes. He's gone. It's over. I know. Bobblehead lives, but Jimmy G is gone. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's with the Raiders. Like, this isn't like a Jimmy G's on the practice field and maybe we'll make it work type of deal. It's Jesus. He's, he's, he's adios amigos. Um, or adios casamigos. Or whatever you want to call it if you're Jimmy G pounded. <laughs> adios casamigos. I actually, just made that up. I kind of like it. That's, um, that was actually really good. Thank you. I know. It was surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think that, like, if you're John Lynch, you say, okay, Trey Lance is a guy we spent a ton of picks on. Um, yeah, he is a ton of picks. He is, in theory, you know, what we wanted a franchise quarterback, but Brock Purdy. And after you talk, we talk with Kyle Shanahan, you're like, look, he's like, Brock is great for this offense. That's why we took a flyer on him late. The other thing is, like, when you do that, you send a message to Trey Lance, like, hey, yes. And Trey Lance hadn't done anything wrong. He just got hurt. You know, he's young and yeah. he was young one year and he got hurt one year. Um, and but I think you sent a message that says, look, dude, like, yeah, we spent a ton of draft capital on you. Yes, we believe in you, but you're not going to be handed 
this job. And if you want to, if you want to get this job, we need more than 17.5 points per game. <laughs> like, and we <laughs> had, had a whole lot of opportunity. And that you know, it was nasty yes. in Chicago in week one. He got hurt in what week two and Jimmy G took over. But like it's I think, I think, I think putting saying Brock, this is your team. One, you're like, you don't you Brock is not going to rush back from injury. You know, you don't want that. You want him to do the natural okay. progression. And then two, Trey Lance is now going to say, All right, like I have to earn this. I have to I have to win this job back. It's not gonna be gifted to me. And I think that it's a it's a smart move by Lance to do that. Yeah, I would hope he didn't need to say that. I would hope that Purdy's uh, run into the playoffs would be enough to kind of put Lance on notice. Uh, But I really don't have a problem with this. I mean, they fell short of naming a starter at the position, kind of declaring it an open competition, but kind of putting the ball back in Lance's court as well. So if that's going to motivate both of these guys this offseason through training camp, I think that's a good scenario for San Francisco to come out of this process with the best quarterback. Yeah, I'm stoked on it. I think Brock Purdy has absolutely earned the job. And to your point, Brinson, too, we haven't seen Trey Lance has this has this ceiling, but we just haven't seen it, haven't seen it get there. And a lot of it's not his fault because, like you said, he was young and he got injured. But Brock Purdy, I think at this point, has proven how well he can lead this offense. And, uh, you know, let's uh, bust up Brock Purdy's ceiling a little bit. We're going to take a quick break here. You're watching the Pick 6 podcast, and we'll be right back. Golf's biggest stars descend on Oak Hill for one unforgettable major. The PGA Championship coming in May to CBS. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. If you're not following us on social, make sure you do that at Pick 6 Pod on all social media platforms. All right, let's talk Pro Day Risers. A couple guys from Iowa. You got Lucas Van Ness and Jack Campbell. What do you you think about these guys, Josh? Yeah, really impressive when you look at what they were able to accomplish at the Combine. Uh, Jack Campbell, you know, he came in 6'5", 272, tremendous size, but what he did during the athletic portion of the, or sorry, 6'5", 249, um, was fantastic what he did on the field. Four six five seconds in the 40-yard dash, uh, 37.5 vertical jump. You've got a 10-foot-8 broad jump. I mean, those are tremendous numbers from a player of that size, uh, especially at the linebacker position. So I think what he was able to accomplish um, is really going to boost his stock up over the next month and a half. I think he's suddenly one of those players that you're considering there um, in the second round. Yeah, I mean, I I actually kind of blacked out while he's talking, so I agree with Josh. <laughs> you're, you're not into the uh, Iowa guys. Well, what are some other risers um, that both of you think came out of pro day? I mean, I thought that like the quarterbacks in general, and I know that's, you know, this is me being like, you know, it's easy generic talk, especially when I, I, I'm like, you know, when, when you're doing the first mock draft, you're like very much into like, all right, where are these quarterbacks actually going to slot? It does feel like, Maybe Will Levis could drop a little bit, but I would just be really surprised if we don't get four of these guys off in the top 10 or 15. I just think the way that this, you see the way that these teams with these picks are acting and you see the quality of quarterback play from, you know, these three guys. And so like CJ Stroud and and Bryce Young, I mean, I I think Peter King wrote about, they said Bryce Young, um, Scouts basically watched it. Was like, dude, like he like the scout told him like his height doesn't even show up on tape. Like you don't even think about it on tape because he doesn't have balls batted down and he knows how to work around it. Um, and and so you have that like like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud feel like stone cold locks to go in the top five, given the teams that we have involved up there. And then it's like Will Levis. I think even though the short and intermediate passes were a concern with how he and you were there, right, Josh? I mean, like it was definitely his like. It's almost like he wants to. He's like trying to Josh Allen it up too much. Like, like he he needs to show a little more touch, a little less like just like don't you can't gas these intermediate throws and these short throws. Like, put it in the right spot. CJ Stroud's really good at that. Um, 
And then with, you know, with Richardson, it's such a wild card, but like someone is going to take a shot on this guy as a possible just monster with up, you know, upside monster. So I think just the idea of like, it's really hard for me to even conceptualize one of these quarterbacks dropping much out of like the first half of the draft. Like, I think we'll see just the, just the way it's set up with the teams and the needs and the, and the, you know, where the teams are who ha- need quarterbacks and the supply and demand, you know, you have the Cardinals at three who probably are going to trade out of that spot. If somebody wants a quarterback, but they don't love Will Anderson like that. Th- it's just, it feels like these quarterbacks are, are almost like stone cold locked at the top of this draft. Yeah, I agree. I think Levis, what he showed at his pro day, probably cements himself as a first-round pick. Uh, seeing both Stroud and Levis in person, you kind of get a feel for both of them as passers. Uh, Stroud is a little bit more surgical. He's got more rhythm. Levis has that tremendous arm strength. You see the mobility. Um, he's capable of making these throws, uh, these NFL throws that other quarterbacks simply cannot make. So if he's able to do that consistently, you're talking about a player that could be the best quarterback from this draft class Um, you know, when you look back in hindsight, but now that I've kind of got my notes in order here, we'll go through some of these, some of these other uh, risers (laughs) in the process. You mentioned Van Ness. Uh, He was the one that was six foot five, 272. Um, He had a four, five, eight second, 40 yard dash, Um, you know, tested, jumped very well, tested very well. Um, You look at his game film. He's a player that is built through power. When you see the athletic numbers that he was putting on tape, that is a player that you feel like has upside to be, you know, a more productive rusher, be a little bit more well-rounded. Andre Yoshivas, a wide receiver from Princeton, um, he's been very productive throughout his career. Obviously, an intelligent guy coming out of Princeton. Four-four-three uh, uh, in the in the 40-yard dash. He's six foot three, two hundred five, thirty-nine inch vertical jumps. Essentially, all you need to know is that he tested explosively. He's very fast. And I thought he looked good during the on-field portion of the event as well. So this isn't just, you know, a player that is going to test off the charts but not deliver on the field. I think he showed that he has a little bit more potential in that regard. Uh, Zach Kuntz, a tight end from Old Dominion, formerly of Penn State. He played five games this past season before uh, suffering a season-ending injury. So he was off the team's radar a little bit. Now they're kind of getting more – information on him and he was six foot seven 255 pounds uh ran a four five five in the 40 yard dash 40 inch vertical jump 10 foot eight broad jump again just fantastic numbers at that position and somebody that's going to open eyes in this very deep tight end class uh did you mention Breesy too did you have Breesy, was Breesy on there i was saying because uh, brian Breesy for clemson the pastors are like he uh, was he yeah did, didn't he, uh was it was it, it did his sister pass? He had like a, he had a really yeah. emotional. He had like injuries and all feel you know like his sister died in the middle of the season, like a very huh. emotional situation. And but this is a guy that like, I mean, these clubs are defenders, man. Like I mean, you look at him and like so, you know, they don't all work out. I mean, but like you, know, you got the Christian Wilkins type. I mean, there there are a lot of guys coming from that Venable style, and I know he's in Oklahoma now, but um, this is a guy who I think really, really helped himself in terms of his pro day and how he looked at that Clemson and how he performed at Clemson's pro day. No question. Former number one overall recruit coming out of high school, um, six foot five, 302 pounds at the pro at uh, the combine. He ran four, eight, six in the 40 yard dash 1.71 seconds in a 10 yard split. So you really see the potential that he has um, not only, you know, as an interior defender, stopping the run, but rushing the passer as well. He's somebody that has those attributes that you feel could be a little bit more than just your run stuffing interior defender. Um, I didn't think that he played up to the hype this season. I thought, um, you know, he was a little bit inconsistent. I would have liked to see him dominate a little bit more with his pedigree, but this is somebody that as Brinson noted was dealing with a tremendous amount of adversity. I mean, he was dealing with health issues as well. So you kind of have to give him a little bit of grace in this period. And I think we kind of saw him come back to form, not only at the combine, but his pro day, as we're watching right now, you see the athletic potential of this guy. In the interior defensive line, it's very difficult to find quality players like Brzee. So when you have an opportunity to draft him, he's going to go up a little bit higher than what you would expect because that is such a difficult position to fill. There's a lot of um, Will Levis hate going on in the chat. We got Billy saying that Will Levis is the next Sam Darnold. And you got Al Bundy saying that Levis is meh, super inaccurate, poor decisions. He's going to be so bad. Billy, why are you saying that Will Levis is the next Sam Darnold? 
I mean, I'm trolling a little bit just to get the conversation started, but I mean, I just don't. Right. How is that a comp? No, 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 no. For me, for me, I said, as I said before, I said I was trolling yeah. a little bit, but. You're saying he's going to suck or you're just. Yeah, he's just not going to be a good quarterback to me. I don't think he's going to pan out. I think he's athletically very, you know, you know, shocking and, and there's a lot of wow factor with that. But I mean. I just don't think he moves the needle enough for me. Like, I don't think he makes those underneath throws. I don't think he's as accurate on those underneath throws as I would like him to be. And that ball's a little wobbly in the air when he is throwing that deep ball. It doesn't give me Josh Allen vibes, even though he's trying to give me those Josh Allen vibes. So it just, it feels like, he, it feels like he's trying to hoodwink us a little bit. I will say this, Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming is not the Josh Allen that we know today either. So yeah. I'm not saying that Levis is going to be that player. I think that's a very dangerous comparison, and it's one that a lot of people have tried to make. I like to compare him to Wyoming Josh Allen, not the Buffalo Bills version of Josh Allen. He is a player with all of the athletic traits to be successful. He just has to put it together. When you look at Allen coming out of college, you look at Levis – over the past year at Kentucky, both of them battled injuries in their final year. Um, so they've both overcome adversity. They've both been on teams that, you know, maybe did not live up to expectations. Maybe they didn't have the best supporting cast. And when you're walking into a situation in the NFL where you're going to a team that has a top top pick, um, you would think that they're probably not going to be a team that is best positioned to succeed immediately. So when you have that kind of a track record, you know, rising in that kind of a setting, I think that's valuable to teams. I think they've seen that, you know, he can be a player that keeps his mind on the football field, even when things are not going well. Yeah. And the other thing too, when you, you know, when you talk about Josh Allen is like, you had the situation in Buffalo where the bills, you know, when Sean McDermott and, and Brandon Bean took over and it's like, all right, the bills got to find a quarterback. They got to get a quarterback. Well, it's like, no. And the Sam Darnold issue, when you think about the Jets, was like, we'll just draft Sam Darnold and it'll just work out because he's a quarterback. It's like, no. If you're going to draft a quarterback that high, if you're going to take a quarterback with the top 10 pick or top 15 pick, like Josh Allen, like Sam Darnold, like anybody, Baker, I mean, whoever you want, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, like, you have to make sure that the infrastructure around the quarterback is set up in a way that is going to allow him to succeed, right? So you need an offense, you need to have invested in the offensive line before you get the quarterback. You need to have invested something in the weapons before you get the quarterback and you need to invest it in the coaching and have somebody who, you know, you can trust who can develop, develop the quarterback. That's why. And again, like I was on Dave Damashek's podcast, the minus three pod. You should check it out. It's a good episode um, last week, but like the, like the chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes and they had the weapons, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. They had the coaching, Andy Reid. They had an offensive line in place. They had a quarterback who they knew they could start for a year before they forced Mahomes out on the field because he probably wasn't ready in, in week one to go out on the field. Whereas you look at the Bears and they drafted Mitchell Trubisky in the same draft. They didn't have the coaching because they had John Fox in a lame duck year. They didn't have any offensive line. There were no weapons there, even though they you know, got Allen Robinson. And they forced Trubisky out too early because they, even though they signed Mike Glennon free agency, it's like, I'm not saying that Trubisky... That, like, but if you like, you flip those quarterbacks, this is what Shaq and I talked about. But Mahomes in, in Chicago, he's not Patrick Mahomes. You know, you you put Trubisky in Kansas City instead of Chicago, and he's probably a Pro Bowl like, caliber quarterback who's still in Kansas City. Like, that's just coaching and infrastructure and all that stuff matters a ton. Yeah, Josh Allen was the third quarterback taken in his draft class as well. Coaching matters. I mean, we did not know how much to uh, how much credit to attribute to Brian Dable in his work with Josh Allen, but now that you've seen him go to New York and have you know to a lesser degree uh, success with Daniel Jones, I think you see the value in having a quality coach that knows how to relate to a young quarterback. Um, you know, if Levis were to end up in that situation, I'm not saying that he would be Josh Allen, but he would have an opportunity to reach that point. To, to Allen's credit, he was the one that was putting in the work in the offseason. He was the one, you know, dedicating all this extra time to his craft. Now it's on Levis to kind of make that same transition. He's got some room for improvements, um, and he's going to have an opportunity to walk in the door uh, and help a team wherever he lands. Based on the criteria that you both listed out, where do you think is the best spot for Will Levis then? Mm. I like Seattle um, just because he would have the opportunity to sit behind Geno Smith and learn a little while. Uh, their offensive coordinator, uh, Shane Waldron, came from the Rams, which is the same offense that Liam Cohen, the uh, former and, again, now current offensive coordinator at Kentucky, ran with Levis 
uh, the year that he had his his most success. So I think that's a possible fit for him. Cool. I do like Frank Reich and his ability to relate to young quarterbacks and what that could mean for a player like Levis or Anthony Richardson, um, a player that, you know, they're kind of in similar regards. They've got all the athletic talent. They're a little rough around the edges. They just need some coaching and a little bit of time to, you know, to possibly reach their potential. So I look at Seattle. I look at Carolina being a couple of situations that could possibly help these young quarterbacks. I think that I think Carolina is a um, is a great call. And I've heard I mean, there's a there's some buzz about Carolina liking Levis. Like maybe they're sort of in on Levis. And you can see David Tepper being, you know, as much as like CJ Trout and Bryce Young feel a little bit safer. I mean, David Tepper is a guy who, you know, he built his fortune you know, being a, a you know a hedge you know a hedge fund manager, but he also like he would go after distressed assets and then turn them around. And so it's like I'm not saying Levis is distressed. It's just like that that type of mentality. What you're looking for is major upside, right? Maybe you're not thinking like all right, like he wants to win now, but I also think he's like, what if we get our Josh Allen? And yeah. now trade now trading up to number one and then drafting Will Levis would certainly be a polarizing decision, <laughs> but I don't think it's off the table at all. All right. Yeah, I think one other thing, one other thing that I will say, um, you see this interesting dynamic in Carolina, because when you have a head coach and a general manager, that is a short term role if you do not succeed. So I could see them being drawn to a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud in that regard. But if the owner, David Tepper, comes over the top and he says, hey, Levis is my guy, that's the guy I want. They have to listen to their boss, you know, so it could be Levis, even though the coach and the general manager prefer somebody else. That's the interesting dynamic that you sometimes see happen in an NFL war room. Absolutely. All right. On that note, we're taking a quick break. You're watching the Pick 6 podcast. We'll be right back. Get breaking news. Big news coming out of the NFL today. Highlights and instant reactions. The largest final round comeback in four championship history. We're down to the final four. I just want to take time to analyze greatness. Talk winners and losers with a guy who's already a big winner. CBS Sports HQ. It's all sports all day long. Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Will Brinson and Josh Edwards. And today is the NFL Pro Day Recapture. Make sure you join us all week long for all NFL off-season news. And remember to like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube page. All right, we talked some of the risers, Josh. Now let's talk some of the fallers. Who do you think did not do well at these Pro Days? Yeah, I think you have to start with Army's uh, Army edge rusher Andre Carter, uh, a player that is tremendously long. Somebody that has been, you know, propped up by his athletic traits, his capabilities at the position. Somebody that you know has a thinner frame, so he doesn't necessarily hold up at the point of attack. A little bit more of a liability in run defense. But when you look at the athletic testing that he put up at the NFL Combine and even into his pro day, it was kind of disappointing from what you would expect. Uh, of a player that is is known for his athletic potential. Um, at the NFL Combine, he um, he had a vertical jump of of 30 inches, broad jump of nine feet one inches. Um, you know, those are not the numbers that you would expect from somebody that has this tremendous upside. So that's one player I think is you know dropping a little bit. Some of these other guys, it's a little bit more relative. Alabama safety Brian Branch, he didn't test like a first round pick. But I think he has the intelligence of a first-round pick, if that mm. makes sense. So while he may get dragged down a little bit by NFL teams because he didn't have this fantastic testing and you know stuff that they often look for as far as athletic testing is concerned, I think his play speaks for itself. I think he's a first-round caliber talent that's probably not going to get his credit that he deserves because he didn't test in that fashion. Uh, a player that you know maybe he ran close to a four-six forty-yard dash, but if you're operating. 0.2 seconds faster than somebody that's running a 4-4, you know, a 4-5, that's more valuable to me. Somebody that has this great awareness for the game. So even though Branch is probably going to go lower than, um, you know, than what we initially thought, I still think he's that caliber of a prospect to warrant that, that type of consideration. Miles um, Murphy, he didn't compete at the pro day or his combine. Uh, he's going to have a private workout on April 4th. So he's got a shot to, you know, kind of get his his draft stock moving back in the right direction because you see players like Lucas Van Ness, uh, Nolan Smith from Georgia kind of rising up the board, and that inherently is going to push a player like Miles Murphy down. So you see him being available in the mid portion of the round of, of the first round, even into the 20s in some mock drafts now. And I don't think that that is warranted either. I think his 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 upside 
uh, is probably that of a top 10 player in this class. But when you look at what he hasn't done to this point and the fact that his 2021 tape was better than 2022, he's a player that I could see dropping down the board a little bit, relatively speaking. Um, Jalen Carter, he's been talked about quite a bit at this point. Um, I don't want to you know, rag on him too much because, again, when you have the legal situation that he was dealing with, it makes sense for a young man to put on a little bit of weight and you know not be able to finish his workout. So yeah. it's a bit of a red flag. It's concerning, but you don't want to pile on him because at the end of the day, this is still a, a young guy that um, you know is dealing with a lot. The the public scrutiny that he was under, it's understandable what he was going through over the past couple of weeks. So I'm trying not to pile on him too much, but that's going to be a red flag for NFL teams. And then Dewan Jones. The offensive tackle from Ohio State, again, did not compete at the Combine or his pro day. Um, I had heard he didn't weigh in at Ohio State. I don't know if he actually did or not, but um, there was some talk that he didn't want to. So that's a little bit of a red flag because how much had his weight kind of you know fluctuated yeah. since his Combine weigh-in where he was 374 pounds? Uh, somebody that is that size, like a Makai Becton, that was taken number 11 overall, he ran a 5-1 40-yard dash. Dewan Jones is, you know, a, a five, three, five. So those are not the same caliber of athletes. So, you know, relatively speaking, he's not going to go in the same range as a Makai Becton. And he's probably going to be late day one, possibly, probably even into day two. Mm. Interesting. It's good list. Yeah, Dom in the, in the chat said the same thing, said he's sunk like a stone, possibly out of the first round for Jones. Any fallers for you, Brinson? No, I'm just going to steal Josh's and use them on my mock draft, basically. I can't wait for this mock draft to come over, uh, to come out tomorrow. Can you give us any spoilers? Yeah, Lamar Jackson's getting traded. Oh, well. <laughs> that's right. Good. Yeah, that's the, no, no, no. That's we, know who your top, we know who your top three is for Lamar we Jackson. Well, you told oh, us. Oh, top three teams. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where you, which yeah. one he's going to go to yet. Um yeah, I, I think okay. the, the other one thing too. I'm like, I, I haven't really decided who I'm going to have Carolina taking at one. I, you know, like it's sort of annoying. I understand that they're like we have comfortable with seven of the quarterbacks in this draft class. Like, shut up! You're not comfortable with seven of the quarterbacks in this draft class. Like, don't be ridiculous. Now, like maybe you're comfortable with two. So I just don't believe that. Like I can okay, I can believe that they're like, all right, we're if we have to right now. Like if it's like. Like the draft starts right now. We have 15 minutes. Like we'll just take we'll take Bryce Young. We'll be we'll be fine with that. And then they're like, but we want to see if we like Will Levis enough to take him at one. Like I understand that right. kind of concept. But the idea is like we're comfortable with three guys. It's like if you're comfortable with three guys, you should trade it to number three because it would have been cheaper, and you would still have like DJ Moore, or you'd still have an extra second round pick. It, it, it doesn't that doesn't make any sense. If you're comfortable with three guys, trade to three. If you're not comfortable with three guys and you have if you have one guy you want, I think David Tepper likes the attention, likes having the fact that people are talking about this franchise. Um, who do you have? Do you have them taken in your most recent one, Josh? Uh, most recently, I had them taking C.J. Stroud. Um, they have taken all of these quarterbacks out to dinner. They've gotten to know them personally, so uh, I'm sure they have a conviction at this point who they're probably leaning towards. But uh, understandably keeping it close to the vest. I do know that they liked Levis yep. um, at one point in the process, you know, was, was that we like you at number nine? Do we still like you at number one overall? I have no idea. Uh, but I have made a point this entire time that it's, you know, it, it would be totally naive to close off the idea that maybe it's not just CJ Stroud or Bryce Young at this point, because uh, the year that, that Baker Mayfield was taken number one overall uh, 48 hours, 72 hours before that selection, everybody thought it was going to be Sam Darnold or um, Josh Allen in that draft class. So what we think we know outwardly, we don't necessarily know. And we know even less when you look back five years down the road uh, and see how these quarterbacks have played out. So that's with the Baker thing too. Like, I mean, I just think you remember, I mean, yeah, I mean, good on me for making money. Patton Baker to go one <laughs> like, I mean, he was like, he was like 20 to one. And like, like on, on the morning of the draft, it was like, and then all of a sudden you see the Schefter tweet. It's like, you know, just like Darnold and Josh Allen were like basically, you know, even money or whatever. And it's like Baker, it's it, like, you can, you can read the tweet where it's like, okay, he knows that it's Baker and it's going to be Baker. And it's like, well, get out your hammers. Cause we are smashing Baker to go for a roll at nine to one, 20 to one, whatever you can find. And like, the, I, I think that the other thing too, is that, the NFL, 
Yeah, the NFL is in constant. Like the owners' meetings are happening right now, right? All these, all the owners, all the coaches, all the GMs are in Arizona. You know, Roger Goodell's there. He'll do a State of the Union later today where he won't say anything. Um, might be happening right now for Atlanta. But the point being is, like, they, they're all talking, right? The NFL tells the team with the number one overall pick, like, whatever you do, don't you don't let anybody know who you're taking, especially if there's multiple quarterbacks because they want drama, they want the attention, they want the buzz leading up to it, and then they want the reveal to be like they like it's all because no one knows. So they're like, by all means, act like you like five guys. Like they, like the NFL embraces that. Yeah. So I think the Panthers will continue to embrace it as well. Yeah, there What's will it? not be a second left on the clock either when they do come, you know, on the board at number one overall. They will take all of their time, just like we do every year. Uh, and I get frustrated about annually. Yep. The entertainment value is through the roof. And that's why it's so fun to bet on the draft, too, because it's one thing that you definitely can't we predict. We yeah, I am. Yeah, I b- b- before gambling, I, w- I would watch the draft for what the 49ers were doing, but now I'm heavily invested in almost every single day trying to figure out when these people are going to come off the board. All right, that is going to wrap up our show today. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, make sure you join us again tomorrow, 1 p.m. for more NFL offseason coverage. And, of course, remember to like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube page. For everyone listening, audio only. Do the same. Download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. We'll see you tomorrow.